This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, recently, the United States passed a key threshold in terms of the EV market. The share of vehicles sold in our country surpassing 5%. And with new legislation around EVs in the mix, many feel that this is just the tipping point for a quite larger adoption of electric vehicles over the next several years. To that end, new information out today from the California Dealers Association showing that Tesla had the top two selling vehicles in the state for the first half of this year. John Paul McDuffie, management professor at the Wharton School, joins us. He's also director of the program on vehicle and mobility innovation. John Paul, great to have you back with us. Thanks for a few moments. Thanks, Dan. Good to talk to you. How important is that 5% number, do you believe? Well, this article in Bloomberg showed an analysis that I hadn't seen quite in that form before, but they looked at different countries and when they had a quarter in which sales were more than 5%. And then they looked forward from there at the shape of the curve of sales. And they found a pretty striking pattern. Um, Norway hit that in, believe it or not, 2013, China in 2018, South Korea 2021, Canada, Australia, Spain. I mean, these are all really different countries, right? And they're all approaching that. And then, um, and their sales just uh, took off uh, after that. They, they close to, uh, doubled in a fairly you know short number of years. So the U.S. hit its first quarter with the EV share being over 5% in Q4 of 2021. So that's part of why it sort of now shines a light on that topic for the U.S. Um, you know, we're all aware from many things of the constraints or the things that can hold back EV adoption, particularly charging infrastructure. And the drivers of EV adoption also tend to be some combination of emission rules and regulations and then financial incentives. And the U.S. has been, you know, at, at a different place and, and typically f- further back in both of those drivers. But the last couple of years have seen, you know, both tougher emissions rules. And particularly if we assume that this uh, IRA bill goes through the House uh, quickly in the coming week, then there are a lot of financial incentives around purchase and a lot of investment going into um, charging infrastructure, supplementing the earlier infrastructure bill. So, I mean, we have a bunch of enabling factors in the U.S. that maybe will make the U.S. fit this pattern that has shown up in so many other countries. Well, and and throw in one that uh, also uh, should be talked about is just the amount of investment that the big three automakers here in the United States have made over the last several years and their expectation that they are kind of all in at this point as well. Yes. And, you know, we saw that happening starting in early 2021. Big announcement first from GM and then from Ford and eventually from Stellantis. Uh, which owns Chrysler and Jeep brands. And, you know, I mean, if you wanted to be a skeptic, there were people who said, well, it's easy to announce big plans, but we got to see the product. we got to see the sales. We have to have both supply and demand. Then the auto sector, you know, as you know, has been afflicted by a lot of supply chain issues, particularly with semiconductor chips. I mean, there's estimates that millions of vehicles sales have been lost because of those supply chain shortages. Now, most of those will simply be deferred. And we can expect kind of strong demand going going forward. But um, I think the combination of drivers and the fact that this does seem to be increasingly a worldwide phenomenon, you know, public perception is obviously important, both 
needing to be favorable about these vehicles and needing to, you know, believe it's feasible to own one yourself. So when you see, you know, your neighbors installing a, a straightforward, you know, charging station at home, uh, if you don't live in the city, you know, if you have a driveway uh, equivalent to what's on a gas dryer, and uh, then a few other neighbors do the same and they've got a shiny EV in their driveway, then um, that's the kind of thing that gets those peer pressures, uh, those, those social forces behind it as well. Well, and I think you also, don't you have to look at, at what some of these automakers are doing in terms of the style of vehicle that they're putting into the EV market? Thinking, obviously, Tesla has, has done a pretty good job of, of attracting people because of the style of vehicle that they have. Ford, obviously, with the F-150 Lightning pickup is the fact that, you know, people love pickup trucks in this country, and they've been able to kind of make that switch uh, over to an EV truck. And and more and more automakers, it feels like, are, are kind of going that route now. It's more about focusing on the style of the vehicle as well as the, the, uh, the technology behind it. Yeah, style, vehicle type, and absolutely performance. And this is critical. I think it took some strategy decisions. It took some, you know, time of building up the product plans, and it took some technological advances to be able to have the batteries that could make F one fifty, you know, be an electric vehicle and and perform at a high level. The the earlier phases when we predicted or wondered about tipping points and saw them didn't happen were when the vehicles were smaller, they were restricted yeah. in size, they were unattractive. Uh, in a bunch of ways, and they were marketed as green for people who wanted to, you know, support a, a, an environmental goal. That just wasn't a big enough group to get it to take off. But, you know, performance, I mean, incredible acceleration, you know, no torque steer, the advanced electronics, there's all kinds of ways in which you can appeal to consumers without really making them think about the environmental goals at all. On the And at the same time, you know, a, a summer of, of more hot, Weather, more catastrophic weather events probably gets a lot of people thinking at least a bit about that climate issue and whether they want to you know, make the switch and do, a, do an electric vehicle. What's your expectation then in dealing with the pricing component? And you talked about the credits you know, through the Inflation Reduction Act, yep. which obviously will help. But still you're talking about prices for some vehicles that are in the 60s uh, in terms of thousands of dollars. Uh, that especially in this economy right now, for some people, it's just not an option. Yeah, there's. There, I think we'll start to focus more and more on affordability as one of the big barriers. Uh, you know, charging we'll keep an eye on, but we've known about that for for a long time. The you know the way that the electric vehicle tax credit is crafted for the Inflation Reduction Act is mindful of that. I mean, people who make above a certain income won't be eligible. Vehicles that have an MSRP above a certain level, 55000 for cars, 80000 for SUVs and trucks and vans, won't be eligible. Um, and But, you know, the big thing is going to be when the products come out. GM has talked for a while now about how they are committed to filling in the lower price range uh, across all vehicle types in their release of EVs. Volkswagen uh, in Europe, absolutely the same. They've got EVs pegged for different tiers. They're using different battery chemistries. You know, they've really got a strategy which is very much by segment, which is, you know, what the auto industry has done for years. So I think we'll see more products that are cheaper. I think the tax credits will help. 
we have to have charging infrastructure for people who live in places where there's absolutely no possibility of charging right now. So many yeah. factors, but I think each of those, instead of these looking sort of insurmountable and like they would prevent a tipping point, they now look like hard problems that maybe will start to be solved little by little until it just accelerates the diffusion trend. Well, and, and that that issue of charging infrastructure is one that obviously is is being focused on on a variety of fronts. And I know we've talked about it in the past, but, you know, yep. when you, you know, I, I travel the Pennsylvania Turnpike from time to time. And when you mm-hmm. see charging stations on the Turnpike at the uh, at the rest areas, you know, recently the grocery store that I go to added a couple of charging units so that people with EVs could charge their cars when they are in the grocery store. These are all steps that that a lot of companies really need to consider of thinking about their consumer as a way that they can provide something for them and, and, and make them want to come back more and more. Absolutely. And, you know, it would be a mistake for anyone to think about the standard gas station for fossil fuel as the model here. I mean, they will be adding chargers at those locations, but you know, lithium batteries, you can top them off at any time and get a little bit of extra charge. It doesn't, it's the battery's designed for that. And I've talked to the CEO of, uh, of ChargePoint, one of the big uh, private companies doing this. And I mean, he imagines uh, a world in which people, as they go about their daily set of, of errands, will have enough chargers that businesses have put in for the convenience of their customers that they can kind of be topping off a little bit all day. So you don't get to that point where you're almost out of, quote, gas or battery power. You have to anticipate a long time for recharging. There's also the home charging, which is going to be a very good option for a lot of people. You've got two, three, sometimes more range on a full battery, and most people don't drive that much in a typical day. So they can then recharge every night and be ready with with a full battery. So I think we're going to see a mix of all these things. I don't know if you drove by any sheets, you know, uh, along the highway, yep. but I was yep. really fascinated to read about how this quintessential, uh, you know, Pennsylvania company, um, more in the central and west, and a little bit like Wawa as we know it here in the in eastern Pennsylvania, yep. has had charging stations through a partnership with Tesla since like 2012 or 2013. They saw it as a business opportunity. They never framed it as anything ideological or anything about you know, uh, worrying about that. They saw a business opportunity and they now have some of the highest density of chargers around. Are you optimistic then that the estimates in some articles by some economists that we can get to 25% in the next few years in terms of uh, either the amount of EVs we have sold and, and on the road, are you confident that we can get to that point or is that still maybe a little bit too optimistic? There's so many things that can that can slow momentum or speed it up. And those will have all the difference in terms of reaching those big ambitious goals. But uh, to me, perhaps the most important thing is, is the momentum there? Are the set of drivers strong enough, resilient enough to hit, you know, hit some bumps and be able to keep going? And, and I have more confidence that that is true now. You know, we have battery supply chain issues. We need to either steer away from battery chemistries that involve nickel and cobalt, or we have to find better sources of them. Lithium is plentiful, but the world is behind on mining enough of it to be available for this kind of electric vehicle demand. So, you know, some of these are 
are potentially uh, at least temporarily hard constraints that would affect the supply of these vehicles. But, you know, I, I want to mention one one little interesting um, angle here, plug, plug-in plug hybrids, right? So everybody knows the hybrid, which represented by the Toyota yeah. Prius, where you don't need to plug it in at all because the gasoline engine charges the battery. Plug-in hybrids add the chance to plug in and recharge a bigger battery, but also, if necessary, you've got the gas engine to, to recharge it. So the thing about plug-in hybrids is that they don't depend on charging infrastructure um, at all. So two salient things. One, they are included in the current tax credit, and they never have been before. So now that category, which is really not so subject to these kinds of fears about, oh, I don't have a place to charge, anybody can buy them, um, will have the financial incentive, which they didn't have before. It's also interesting to me that the Bloomberg analysis shows that plug-in hybrids don't really take off until they hit about 10% of sales. And you might think, well, you know, these things don't even depend on charging infrastructure. They should take off sooner. But people are seeing them as more of a niche and transitional technology. People are waiting a little longer and getting a a full battery electric. So um, all of that tells us something about the maturity, the growing maturity of people's knowledge of this market, what they really want and are excited about in the technology. Plus, now we're going to have these plug-in hybrid sales just as part of the momentum for the overall diffusion. Well, and then let me ask you one other thing on top of that is the fact that the, this, this bill, Inflation Reduction Act, also has a component of it that would give credits back to people that would buy used uh, plug-in uh, electric vehicles or electric vehicles in general. And I think that's, you know, that's yeah. a that's that's a a lot of forethought to think about that because especially considering how uh used vehicles have become very popular among the American public the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that's another sign that hey, this has been happening long enough that we've got a bunch of used vehicles. The the credit is higher for cheaper used EVs, which will create more of a driver at that affordability end of the market. So I think that's a very it's perhaps less the headline item out of the the new bill, but I think it's a very important one for the reasons you said. John Paul, great to talk with you. Thanks very much. All the best. Yeah, my pleasure. Take care, Dan. Thank you. John Paul McDuffie, management professor here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.